All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of a Podcast coming to you live from the Lanxus Arena. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Aaron. Uh, welcome back, everyone, for another episode. We've got a lot today, not quite as much F1 with it uh, being fully into the summer break now, but we've got some little tidbits, some quick hitters, Magic the Gathering, League of Legends, a little bit of uh, IEM Cologne as well. Uh, but Justin, good to see you for another week, my man. Yeah, good to be back. Happy to happy to be here. We've uh, actually got a little bit to talk about here, but uh, I'm interested to hear about your week. What about your rose, thorn, and seed, my friend? Yeah, uh, so my rose for this week was, um, I talked about, uh, I think it was my seed last week of going to the beach uh, over the weekend and all, um, but it was just really uh, nice to spend some good time with Colleen's family and with her and all uh, down there at the shore. Um, it was fun to get to like do stuff at the beach with her nieces, like go and build sand castles. And they had me like hauling buckets of water to like fill up whatever that like all sorts of stuff like that. And it was, uh, it was kind of cool just seeing, um, them like having fun and getting to like be part of that memory kind of, um, mm-hmm. I think it's cool as I, continue to like just become more and more like a part of their family uh that for her nieces and all there'll be some of those memories from earlier on of uh of me being around and everything so that's kind of cool uh oh wow pretty special yeah it's just a, a neat thing uh when you think about it plus they're hilarious the the five and seven year old are are both characters so uh it was it was fun uh after the first day of like hauling just bucket after bucket of water to fill up the kiddie pool that they had me dig in the, in mm-hmm. the sand first. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I woke up so sore the next day. I'm like, like, why am I in pain? And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I just was haul. I was just doing like slave labor, uh, up and down the beach, uh, for a five and a seven year old, just being like, Yes, dig this hole. Okay, now fill this hole up with water. Oh, the water all drained out because it's ninety degrees outside. Go get more. Uh, but it was it was pretty funny, um, to say the least. My uh, my thorn for this week is actually uh, something that came on today, but I don't know if I bit the side of my tongue or if it's like a little ulcer or something. But the side of my tongue really hurt like it's bothering me there's a little like bump on it and it's like making it more difficult to enunciate words i feel like i have Mm. a slight like lisp so uh so if i sound different it's probably that i feel like i'm just more conscious of it than uh than anyone would be but uh not very fun because there's not really a good way that i've found to like uh alleviate that at all um i'm sure it doesn't sound that doesn't sound great yeah and uh talking probably doesn't help it a lot but it's already there so i'm like it is what it is um the 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 show must go on as they say yeah blood sweat and tears for this podcast man Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. (laughs) but my uh my seed for the week is just uh i mentioned it to you last week but I'm starting to do a little bit of like 
research into one, just like improving my setup with uh, sound, audio, things like that for the podcast. Um, I got a new webcam that I haven't set up yet uh, that I'm going to test out, see if the quality is better. Um, it looks like it might be, and uh, I got it uh, for a pretty good deal. So I was like, all right, I'll see. Maybe it'll improve my video quality. Not that it's bad, but um want to test that out. Um, sure. And then uh, looking at like for the future of the podcast and everything, like video editing, uh, different software and stuff that might uh, we might be able to improve the overall quality of the, the video and everything. So uh, just excited about all the little pieces of the puzzle to those, those small improvements uh, add up to, to just improve the, the quality of the podcast. And so I'm excited mm-hmm. to, uh, to get those going and test them out a little bit. Yeah, that is really exciting. I mean, yeah, if you just think about where, like, where we started compared to like what the show is now it's um yeah it's pretty night and day uh a big difference and it is you know due to a bunch of these just you know little tiny changes so that's um yeah that is quite exciting yeah but that uh is my rose thorn and seed for this week uh but let me hear about your week what's been going on very cool i will uh I'll I'll start where you left off. So we have um well games are going on right now. We're in the group stage currently, but we've got the Valorant Champions tournament for the end of the year. So it wraps up the the VCT, which is the Valorant Champions Tour. So like all of the regions, you know, very similar to like the the LPL, the LCK, all of these, they all have their regions. They they qualify into what then is there's like a bunch of majors throughout the year, which is the like masters, like Reykjavik, Berlin. Um, what was the most recent one? Uh, Tokyo. Um, so we're at we're at the 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 final stage here. We're in the group stage. So that's kind of my seed here. I'm excited for the tournament. Excited to cover the tournament here as it goes on. But um, yeah, it's always fun to. It's not a game that I'm able to catch like the the main season games. But every time there's a major, I love I love tuning in and 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 watching the matches. So that's my seat. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to the the culmination of this tournament and the culmination of the you know the Valorant competitive year, as with like a bunch of other like competitive years um, for 2023 wind down. So that's my seat here for the week. And then nice. my thorn. I've just got big time gamer shoulders, man. I'm just like kind of tight on the shoulders. I'm noticing some just like ah, kind of uncomfortable. And it's from all of the head clicking that we do in our um, in our spare time. But also, you know, we use we use our upper body primarily for, um, you know, for for massage. But uh, yeah. So just feeling a little tight, a little sore. So Sarah did some Sarah did some good muscle work to my underarm, so that's been feeling better. Um, so yeah, minor thorn here for the week, but I uh, just figured I should mention it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to have just a small thorn. Uh, that that means it's been a pretty solid week. So mm-hmm. yeah, nothing, not nothing too much to complain about. And then my rose. I talked about one before and boy, I feel like I'm like I'm an employee. I'm a I'm an on-call guy. They know I can be relied on. So there's a research design team that does like 
uh, basically just like market research for companies. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I got into another one of those studies. It was uh, it was a two day gig. It was a little like taste test. Basically, got in, got paid, get out. It's like overall it was like 30 minutes of my time for a good amount of money so it's like oh this feels this feels pretty good um and it's nice, nice to get the like the recall right um having done it before and now feeling like all right cool now i'm like really involved i guess i did a fine job there uh so we're moving forward um so we did that today and that was that was very cool but that was my uh rose thorn and seed here for the week Nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's cool that it's uh, like food testing and all too for it sounds like a decent number of these. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, definitely not a, a bad way to make a little bit of money and uh, and yeah, kill a little time. Yeah, not bad at all. It's uh, it's very sweet. But we got a pack show. Let's uh, let's get into it. I know you've got a you know a little collection of uh, quick hitters here that we can pick through. Yep. So the uh, the first one that I thought would be interesting to you so there was an announcement from counter-strike um looking at the uh future of counter-strike 2 and all moving into kind of that new era of counter-strike but one of the uh changes that they're looking to make is that um tournament organizers and um will not be able to have uh any sort of business arrangements or relationships with teams that are participating in the events uh, to kind of avoid like people just getting invited to tournaments because they're like a partner of like a company or whatever else. Um, Mm -hmm. So the goal is to kind of create this more open um, kind of circuit where teams can just like be able to qualify for tournaments using a like rating system and everything from like smaller events and things like that to to determine like who qualifies for uh for those and all um so i think that's definitely a a better way to do it it'll just encourage of course like more competition um across the board uh for that high level where um, people can just like put a team together and then go out and qualify for an event. They don't have to get a special invite or anything to uh, to potentially participate in these like large tournaments uh, with big prize money and and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is pretty exciting. And I imagine like I don't know. I don't know what teams are associated with some of the like the big organizers and you know what this looks like in practice but just in the idea of it that does sound that does sound pretty nice i would hope there isn't too much of that going on where like oh are some of my favorite teams just at these tournaments because of um you know because of partnerships or whatever you would have to figure that these would be teams that are likely getting knocked out early possibly though because you would think if they're winning games on their own merit whether they were whether they're partnered or not they would be there yeah Um, well or it could even like apply to a situation where um a larger team is like lower rated than a very small team that maybe doesn't have as much of a pull of fans or Mm. something like that 
where they're like, oh, we'll we'll take FaZe even though they're kind of in a slump right now because they have a huge fan base as opposed to picking up um, Squad 8 over there because they, they've they only got 100 Twitter followers even though they're crushing out every team they play or whatever. Right. Um, okay, so I think it avoids like those kinds of things as well, not just a scenario of like um, – maybe not specifically due to partnerships, but doing those qualifications on just a ranking system uh, kind of alleviates multiple of those potential issues. Mm -hmm. No, that's uh, that's, that's very interesting. I I'm, I'm curious how it'll manifest in the, um, in the, the teams that we had, like the teams that we see. And if, if it does create a more, uh, underdog not the word isn't allowing but underdog able in some way Mm. where there's there's like like, there's opportunity for it yeah there's there yeah no i i think it and it'll be i'm curious to wait and see because it sounds like so because um there are teams and tournament organize uh tournament organizers who have like like contracted partnerships or whatever or whatever as well um they're not going to start that till 2025 so it's still Mm -hmm. a ways down the road um to allow for like those contractual obligations and all to be kind of uh just resolved prior to to worrying about this but um yeah i'm curious to see if it does open up the um the opportunities for for more teams to come in or um just kind of more competitive play in that esport which is always good to to see the best of the best competing at like the highest level i mean that's why we talk about most of the things we talk about here on the podcast for sure well and i mean if you if you look at some of the 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 view numbers for csgo as compared to like other ones that i'm watching Dude, it doesn't even come close the oh, yeah. eyes that these tournaments draw. Like it's crazy. Um yeah, it's uh it's pretty wild, so I think it would be um or will be a cool thing for the scene. I don't know, of course, how much it will affect things, but maybe it does sure. give that opportunity for like a Cinderella story kind of thing. Um but to, to move along, we had mm-hmm. uh, an IndyCar race this past weekend. Um, so we had the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix in Nashville. Um, it was a, a pretty good race overall, like pretty clean, very few uh, incidents compared to uh, what we often kind of see in IndyCar with uh, the bumping of shoulders and all, but... Uh, Roman Grosjean, for one, had a, I was happy to see he bounced back a little bit, had a really nice race, led a few laps of the race, ended up in P6 uh, overall. Um, Alex Pillow, uh does not end up winning um, after he's had this uh, really uh, impressive season so far. He comes uh, in third. Um, but Kyle Kirkwood, one of the the younger guys who's been, uh, I think it's his second year in IndyCar, got the win. Um, he has won, I think, a couple of uh, races this year now. Um, and so he's he's having a nice season for a young driver. 
um, which was was cool to see him get the uh, the win this week. Yeah, I'm looking at the looking at the Music City Grand Prix circuit. Is it the same as 2021? So it had that little like very Sochi similar cube with the two long straight yeah. sections. Yep. Whoa. Okay. This circuit looks very cool. There's something about the IndyCar circuits where the design is much different than like Formula One circuits and like other like uh um purpose-built tracks like that and i guess music city this is a street track that they Mm. that they built in yeah street circuit through nashville whoa and then it goes over the bridge Mm. that's fucking cool man yeah it's definitely um like a pretty neat spot to do it colleen and i were um we were just past turn 10 uh or no just before turn 10 when we uh we were in nashville the other summer for a wedding and we stayed at i'm looking at the map the uh the comfort inn and suites with the world famous guitar shaped pool uh that was right next to the football stadium there and so this circuit goes like uh the circuit goes kind of like around the um around the stadium parking lot and like down to uh across that bridge whoa okay so you were like you were kind of right there where it was being held that's very yeah. sweet yeah this circuit so looks, i actually this can circuit like, looks super cool looking at the map i can actually um like picture it a bit more which is kind of cool yeah what a like picturesque little area you know you have the two super long straights going up and across the bridge like that's that's a nice bit of circuit actually i bet that's quite fun to drive yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, and there were, um, it was just a lot of good racing, uh, at the, at the circuit this past weekend. I felt like there were a lot, I mean, IndyCar always has a lot of or- overtakes and everything. The difference mm-hmm. in tire strategies is, or different tire compounds is so drastic. Um, but, but yeah, uh, very, very fun race to watch. Um, Will Power right at the beginning. I think he was able to get back up to his starting position, but he like almost didn't get going at the start because the he couldn't find his like headphones, like his uh like ear in ear things for the car. And so he's like running around. All the other cars had left the pit lane to start circling with the uh the like safety car and all for the rolling start and so he's like scrambling hopping into the car they're getting him buckled in and he just makes it out in front of the uh the safety car so i think they ended up having to do an additional lap um Mm. of that so that the like pack was like packed up or or whatever they they always make sure there's like a minimal amount of distance between the rows before like starting the right, races. So, right. They bunch them all up. Yeah. So, uh, he, he fortunately didn't end up a lap down, uh, because of that at the start, but, um, it was a, it was a weird thing. I haven't, um, I know like F1, we've had instances like that where like, I think Kimmy maybe at one point is like screaming at someone to get him his wheel or people are like, where's my gloves where's my and but it's mm-hmm. uh 
it was definitely interesting to see because that it just doesn't happen that often. So it was kind of a uh, odd moment. Well, and you have this sense that like everything's going according to plan. Nobody's lagging behind. We're all moving together here. The show is moving forward, and you like you you have this sense that everybody would be moving together. And it's like, oh no, they would have just like left without him if he wasn't ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is and, like hilarious. And just the, the fact of like everyone, you expect everyone on these teams to be like so professional. Like I right. expect, I expect there to be a guy that's like the, um, just the, the like, gear guy where he's just yep. standing off like while they're doing the national anthem and like any like pre-race stuff i would just have a guy holding the helmet the gloves the earpieces just like just like carrying them around like a water boy just to have them right there i like i'm surprised that uh that something like that just got like misplaced and he's like scrambling to to find them and and everything it's uh not what you really expect, but um, but yeah, a good uh, good race and nice nice performance from uh, from Grosjean, which I'm always uh, just keeping an eye out for. Now, did you say Polo ended up third? He's been having a pretty good season. Did he run into issues of some kind? Was it the like push to pass management, or like wasn't he really in the running? No, not anything in particular he just uh he qualified p4 and um i think just was on a slightly different tire strategy um and scott mclaughlin and uh kyle kirkwood both had just really good pace um i think it might be just they they had a better setup uh, or that worked out a little better for them and uh and just put in a, a good weekend so it's the primaries and the alternates, right? So yeah. there's just two compounds for IndyCar. Yeah. So is it more of like a like a hybrid medium and then like a hybrid hard, or is it more like a is it like more towards the soft and then like a harder medium? I feel like it's like a, between a medium and a hard, and, okay. and then like a soft. So like. Or, or maybe even sometimes like a super soft, like it, which used to be okay. like, so I, I would imagine. So there's the, what, like seven tire C is it five or seven C one, two, three, I four. think there's five. Yeah. I would imagine it's like you have the like C one and the C four or like the C two and the C five. Like okay, there's a gotcha. significant difference in terms of the, it wouldn't just be like a, a C1 to a C3. Like it, mm-hmm. it seems like it's got that extra distance between the uh, hardness of the compounds because the the alternates that they use, which I think are the soft softer compound, um, gotcha. seem to just wear down insanely fast. Um, so you're like planning not just like your pit strategies but your fuel like how Mm -hmm. long like all those things based on the stint that you're gonna do and everything because if you're going on that alternate tire why would you be high fuel when you're gonna be on the softest compound like give yourself as much 
or, or the mm-hmm. compound that's going to give you the shortest uh, lifespan, like keep the fuel down and then fill like fill more up the next pit stop kind of thing. Um, so it, it plays into all that strategy uh, pretty sure. well, which is which is cool. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about the IndyCar is like, well, just one out. El- one interesting element is also that refueling um and the way that you're talking mm-hmm. about how linked the tire strategy with the fueling is um and kind of um it gives this sense that on the fly decisions maybe not the best where like having a planned kind of route is going to set you up for success uh cuz you might end up you know just fumbling that uh fumbling that audible if uh you know you don't get the fuel to tire compound to stint exactly right and then you just end mm-hmm. up kind of kind of washing out in a way where either you don't have enough fuel you have to pit at a bad time your tires don't have enough life left but like your your tank is full or something like this um so yeah that's actually um that's quite interesting and and a difference that we don't see in formula one because we don't have i shouldn't say we formula one doesn't have the refueling yeah and i think like um even just uh, on another note with the refueling like it adds in another wrinkle where there there are times where if they're so typically if there's a a track-wide caution basically a safety car in indycar uh the pit lane closes so i've seen races where drivers have to go into the pits even though it's closed and take the penalty because otherwise they would have run out of fuel just doing these safety car laps and everything because gotcha. they're like right towards the end of their stint and they the the incident happened right before they were going to pit but the pit lanes closed so they try to hang out to see as long as they can to see if they can wait till the pit lane opens but if not mm-hmm. they just have to eat the penalty and and go in um oh, so that's it's wild. Uh, yeah it's an interesting um like component of that too with the um with the refueling. So it adds a lot of like strategy calls in. Uh, it's kind of like uh, a team leaving their driver out on really, really old tires in hopes that, uh, that they get that safety car right at the end and get the cheap pit stop. It's like, mm-hmm. you gotta kind of hope that the fueling and everything's right. Cause if something does happen, then you could be in trouble. So kind of the, the reverse of that, but, and are there the same like do you have to switch compounds you have to use both okay at some point in the race yep okay that's fun but uh but yeah so um it was uh it was a cool race to watch i would definitely recommend checking it out or at least the highlights um but looking at the uh next little note so um i talked about max looking to start his own gt3 team um mm-hmm. and so he i guess uh spoke a little more on it that he is planning um to have a two car team initially uh to which he thinks is like a feasible like uh, amount of cars and everything to go into um endurance racing and all with them in 2025 so um i think it's uh smart of him to just like kind of not go too big too fast just kind of like find his way 
into this uh into this realm as a, a team owner and all and then kind of see where it goes from there but also it allows him to get this rolling pretty quickly and and to move nicely along with uh with the plans for the gt3 team yeah that's really exciting and then kind of just thinking down the line kind of further cementing his name in racing very similar to like a chip ganassi or a a team like this andretti yeah just uh uh teams defined by the last name of a a great individual that was you know doing it at one time that's like very exciting and i imagine his passion for these other racing formats will definitely will definitely carry through i mean um we're not bringing you the news when we tell you that he's involved in all sorts of racing outside of his uh formula one career so yeah that's yeah that's uh that's pretty exciting i may um if there's a if there's a a Verstappen racing to watch in, uh, you know these GT three formats, I, I that could be a reason to get into it. Yeah, and I mean uh, the, at least um, like a bridge point, you know. Oh yeah, you have that. Um, it's that like well, kind of first degree of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like neat because he's talked about how it could be a road, and not that he'll necessarily. I think exclusively pick drivers this way, but it's a road that he's looking to give opportunities potentially to sim like endurance sim racers to mm-hmm. potentially move from that sim racing into like real uh, racing. And also um, I think with him and his uh, enjoyment of the sim endurance races and everything, um, it makes sense, but I, I think he also probably from that experience sees that there's a lot of talent in that world that just doesn't have the connections or whatever to get into an actual racing seat. So they're just doing sim racing. Um, mm. So definitely a, a cool thing that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing once that's fully up and running. Um, but, but yeah, uh, a, still a couple years away 2025 uh for that so um but i mean it's cooking and i mean that'll be here that'll be here before we even know it brother oh yeah so i'm i'm excited to see and to hear more news as things progress with that and all moving forward mm-hmm. uh because I, I guess that would be racing by 2025 so i would imagine that there will be a lot of uh the the groundwork before then that we'll hear about and potentially like driver signings and things like that. So yep. Yeah. Um, a lot of news to yet be had, I guess you would say. Yeah. But uh to move over into the Formula One section of the episode, um just a lot of little kind of quick notes uh as well with this, but um not as much to talk about during the uh the summer break. Um mm-hmm. but Pirelli uh has proposed from uh for from the tire standpoint uh the potential to create a like super intermediate or something between the intermediate and the wet tire um which i guess is like so the reason that i'm like i don't really understand it is like the it doesn't seem like we're ever going to go actually like go racing where drivers are using the wet tires. They may be required to start on them, but then immediately switch to the intermediates because we've seen that already. 
Um, it doesn't seem like any team ever wants to actually run the wets. Um, it, it They're just too slow. Um, so I don't get why they would make a super intermediate instead of just saying, hey, currently in F1, if the rain is bad enough where we would use our wet tires, they're going to red flag it because the rain's too heavy anyway and the spray's too much and all these things that have been talked about. Why not just be like, oh, let's make the wet tire a bit closer to the intermediate in pace and all. So then there's not a huge difference between them in pace. And we can just say, hey, if it rains this much, like it's going to be red flagged. So they just use those for actually racing because otherwise there's like there's no point of the wet tires other than maybe a qualifying. That's the only time where people are kind of spaced out enough where they can maybe like use them and not be as concerned about like incidents or or the spray being an issue or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, just yeah. No, that does sound about right to me, especially especially in recent history. If you think of a lot of the if you think of a lot of the of the races that we've had in the wet yeah, they're significant delays, big red flags and, um, all sorts of shenanigans like that. So yeah, it seems, it seems like a halfway step. I imagine they'll probably land somewhere in the realm of what you're talking about. Like maybe, a a, a, a different wet tire to actually make it an option, especially when the safety is leaning towards if the conditions are even bad enough for a wet tire, we're not even trying to go racing at this point. Um, right. So, yeah, that does kind of feel about right. Maybe they're trying to creep up to better wet running is likely the you know, kind of what they're going for, or maybe having drivers and teams feeling more comfortable with more significant wet running, I guess would be how you say that. Because, um, yeah, it it all just gets delayed and red flagged anyway, so what's the point? I, I'm kind of with you. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, I thought also part of all of this like work that they're doing on sustainability and all was supposed to be like reducing the amount of tires that you're bringing to races and things like that. And you're sure. adding in just an extra compound of tires that every team's going to have to bring to every single race. And that's just an additional, like, like you're, that's kind of going in the opposite direction of where you'd want to. So either you have sure. to like, slow down the intermediates to make them closer to the wets or maybe you bring the wets and make them a little bit quicker somehow with mm -hmm. the way they work but um like I, I know there's safety regulations and all but it just seems like if safety is becoming a concern they just red flag it and don't start the race already anyway until mm. it's like conditions where everyone's debating oh can we go with intermediates or can we go for slicks like it, mm -hmm. there, no one's ever like should we put the wet on like no so um so yeah i i don't um 
I don't know if there's like a perfect solution, but I don't know if adding a just like in between tire that's going to leave the wet tires even more unused is like the answer. Um, but I don't know. Who am I? I think they would likely just try and phase one of them out then. Probably. Right. So, yeah, for like six months, you have the three compounds and then they're like, OK, we can get rid of this one then. Yeah, I mean, or something. I, that that could be that could be the solution. But um, either way, it's uh, it's going to be a process to kind of figure out because you could implement them and then get no wet weather races, too, and not really get to like mm-hmm. see it like it, it just could be a weird and to see like we've had a ton of rain in the first half of the season this year compared to uh recent seasons that uh i can think of off the top of my head we've had a lot mm-hmm. more rainy races so uh it could just flip the opposite way you never know but yeah that's um, a good point yeah but uh yeah something to keep an eye out for if uh if they actually do kind of move forward or figure out uh what they want to do there um I'd mentioned it last week, but there's still more conversation about Hugo Boss potentially uh, coming in as the, the main sponsor for the Alpha Towery team next season. Uh, and I was I was not far off. I sent it to you, but uh, Hugo Boss Bulls Racing, the yeah. pot- potential team name, um, not great. <laughs> it's a mouthful. It's it's a lot. Um, I, I don't even think you can like abbreviate it and call it like HBBR. That's still right. like a lot. So I don't know. Cause um, no, neither of the organizations are going to give up like name recognition in that scenario. They're not going to like come up with some new like fusion name, you know, they're just yeah. like, okay, we just have to mash them together. Does this look okay? And no, it doesn't. No, but they'll they'll probably go with it anyway. Um, so that's the uh, the update there. Talking about AlphaTauri, though, uh, there was a report that came out. Um, someone said earlier this week that basically AlphaTauri, when with their new team and sponsor and all next year, um, are planning to run the RB19 car, so Red Bulls. Uh, current car next year and just like run mm-hmm. with that and like they they can't do that like they they like actually cannot do that that was the whole kerfuffle with the pink mercedes with racing point a couple mm-hmm. years ago where they basically had Mercedes previous year car because there was this illegal transfer of information and whatnot between the two teams. And then they got penalized for it. Like you, like that's why there's a specific list of like parts that you're able to purchase from other teams. So if, unless they're referring to the already like spoken about increase of partnership between Alpha Towery and Red Bull, where they're mm-hmm. going to use their front suspension and like buy more of the parts that they're allowed to, um, I was just like, who is who in the F1 world is out here putting this like just ridiculous buzzword like like uh, 
tabloid headline out there. Because it, it, like, you just can't do the. There's rules against it. Like, if you're in yeah. the F1 world enough to be like, oh, this could happen, you should immediately be able to be like, oh, wait, no, they can't. Like, just a weird, weird thing. And there was, a, like, I saw this a bunch of different places. I'm like, they, they just actually can't do that. Would there be would there be a world where with some small tweaks within loopholes they could like run the same car effectively but because it's like enough different? I mean, if they if they figure out without Red Bull say like if they buy parts all the parts that they can from Red Bull and then they go okay, let's look at their car and see if we can Mm -hmm. figure out how it works. And they do all the engineering and testing and all and figure out how to create those parts again, just from like the way they look or whatever else. That's not illegal. But if there's like information being passed between the teams, it's like, oh yeah, these are the dimensions of this part. This is how big the open, like this is how the airflow, like, that they can't do so if they like that's why the teams are always like looking at each other's cars why lewis and seb had done always have their little inspections after they get smoked in a race where they're like huh so what is going on and try and take that information back to the team because they have Mm -hmm. a lot of knowledge um like you have to be able to figure it all out from either engineering it on your own or being yeah. like, Oh, Hey, that looks interesting. Let me try and recreate that thing I saw and see if we can like figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I look at the underside of the floors earlier in the season was such a big thing. Uh, Cause the floors give most of the downforce for the, the cars currently and all. And so seeing like Red Bull or Mercedes or Ferrari's floors, they're like, Oh, like, so that's how they're they're doing it. So yeah, like there sure. are things that you can figure out and and they could try and recreate the Red Bull, but at that point like you're also just falling behind sort of by just being like a year out of date. Yeah. When other teams who are currently competing with Red Bull and much closer than AlphaTauri are building on their own concepts and trying to improve. I think you're still leaving yourself behind but you maybe jump up us to ninth or eighth from 10th in the constructors right okay because when i had seen that little when i had seen that little blurb i thought it was i i had misunderstood i thought it was red bull looking to use the same car and i was like oh well that's like ridiculous but that doesn't seem like far off like i guess they could if they wanted to but gotcha. it was it was the sale of the rb19 down to the sister team alpha towery which just would be straight up illegal which right. okay yeah that totally makes sense because yeah i'd seen that little blur but yeah misunderstood it but i appreciate the um i appreciate the kind of you know rules deep dive that we just went on because yeah it's all it can all be kind of confusing sometimes yeah, and especially with like the cars and all, since we that's the part of F one that is just seen so much less from the public eye. Like yeah. you get you get to see all the races and the driver conversations, contracts, whatever else, but 
um, the development of the cars is a little more uh, uh, tight lipped uh, around the mm-hmm. grid and also big time. Um, so, yeah, I was just uh, I was like surprised to even see it as a headline because I was like that they can't do that. But then, um, yeah, it kind of took me down to thinking about what they could do a little bit. Um, but looking at instead of the uh, upcoming year, look at the, the rest of the second half of the season here. Um, Aston Martin, there's conversation that they still have a large number of updates that they're planning to bring uh, to the car in the second half of the year. So they're still doing a lot of development. Uh, it seemed like from what I was reading, some of their updates that they did earlier in the season part of the reason that they have kind of slumped is that their tire degradation has gotten a lot worse. So some of the updates that they made, I guess, created an unintended effect of create, even though creating more uh, downforce, creating a lot more tire degradation. And so um, kind of counteracting their own, uh, their own improvements that they're looking to make on the car. So they, seem to have, uh, from what they say, kind of figured out where the issues are and are planning to bring updates and upgrades to continue developing the car and, and kind of try and come back at it in the standings um, to fight for that second position. Oh, that's um, pretty uh, That's pretty exciting. And sounds yeah. sounds quite promising that they're kind of able to lay out what the issue was, say they've uh, you know made headway there. That's 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 great. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's... I, it's what we are always hoping for. Like we want competitive races. We want the excitement of it. And so uh, it was super exciting watching Fernando Alonso and like the Aston Martin team put a car up on the podium for like five of the first like seven races or whatever it was. Yeah, um, for sure. And all very unexpected. So uh, exciting to see them kind of pushing forward with that and figuring out some of those issues. Um because just having another team to battle with the Ferraris, the Mercedes, the McLarens, um, it's it's fun to see. Um, Haas as well, though, is going to be coming into the second half of the season and is planning to uh, kind of do, do the same thing and bring some updates to try and counteract their tire degradation. That's a big issue that they've had as well, um, which is part of why they have had such good like one lap pace, but then their race pace is just so, so rough. Uh, it's just, they can't keep that pace with the, the wear on the tires. So looking to, to move forward and, and hopefully address those problems in the second half of the, the season as well. Um, mm. so hopefully, uh, we'll see them kind of, have a little bit like be able to capitalize more on the uh solid qualifying performances that they've had out of the the guys like Nico Hulkenberg uh primarily and then uh Magnuson here they're kind of making it up into Q3 and all so more more opportunities to actually secure those points instead of being like oh I qualified P4 and finished P12 um sure. just kind of yeah. fall, falling backward down the grid yeah, because you don't want to see that, especially, yeah, there is so much promise there on a Saturday, but if you know you're just going to, like, you're just going to be moving backwards, it's that's that's got to be pretty demoralizing. Yeah, and not not just demoralizing, but just to, like, 
like frustrating too, just to be like, we have like a driver who is putting in really good quality laps and everything. Um, Magnuson not doing bad, but Hulkenberg's stood out so much in those qualifying performances. Um, so to, to be like, we have him there in these positions, like, like it's like uh sand slipping through your fingers you're just like Mm -hmm. trying to to hold on to it and just as you do more and more uh just goes through and so hopefully they'll be able to to make those improvements and um kind of hit the uh second half of the season head on um which is which is exciting i like i'm i'm just always rooting for uh for every team to improve and get into the fight i want to see 10 teams fighting for the championship you want to see nine opponents valiantly valiantly get dashed down by max not have a pub stomping that's what you want yeah i a want a fair to... challenge okay. on the hill but uh, for max to remain king so somewhat like i don't mm-hmm. want it I I don't want it to be just I want to actually see Max race. Like it's it's great yeah. that he's winning, but like after lap 5, you don't see him except for his pit stop for about 5 seconds mm-hmm. and then he's gone for the rest of the race again. Um <laughs> I would like to see some more excitement there, but uh it's kind of like with my my opinions with my football teams I like would hundred percent rather see them below the other teams out of the water than like have a, a nail biter. Uh, I'd rather just have the guaranteed win uh, for, for things like that. But with F1, I think it's a little bit different just because at least in like, say football, I'm rooting for the Eagles. The Eagles are oh, just running up and down the field on the Cowboys, the Giants, the Commanders, whatever, whatever other team. And they're just like running up the score. I'm getting to see the Eagles offense do really well. I'm like watching mm-hmm. them. I'm seeing their defense probably do really well too. If Max is out there 45 seconds ahead of the field, you know how much of Max doing well I get to see? Fucking nothing. So mm. I don't get to see him do anything because the excitement is back with the guys who are battling. So yes, I do want Max to maybe still win a lot, but but just at least to have someone kind of trying to chase after him. Sure. You want him to win on screen, not off screen. Yeah. It's, it's more fun that way. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. I'd still be fine with him winning the championship by 250 points. As long as the races are actually exciting. Yeah, whatever you know. <laughs> That's all I'm looking for. Whatever works. Looking for fun racing, but uh, uh, to to kind of look at uh, a mix of fun racing. So McLaren, they've done it before, but they're looking to have Alex Pillow and Pato Award um, drive in some of the free practice sessions for McLaren later in the season. Um, so another uh, opportunity for those IndyCar guys to to be out on the F1 grid drive the cars and all which is uh pretty cool to see um and shut down you don't have enough points get the fuck out of here 
Well, that that was Mr. Colton Hurd. Uh, Alex Pillow should have uh, should have the points. I think Pato Award would for uh, for a super license, but uh, gotcha. That's good. But to uh, speak of Alex Pillow, obviously great season right now in IndyCar. It's put him on the radar um, at primarily of Alpha Tauri and Williams potentially for uh, a driver's seat. So, or or at least. I guess like, well, I guess it would be a driver's seat as opposed to like a reserve opportunity since I, he is currently a uh, reserve driver for McLaren. So it would have to be for an official race seat. But okay. um, I guess that kind of puts up into the air some of the, the questions with seats and everything with uh, with the team. So looking at contracts that are going to be expiring at the end of the season that have not been re-signed. Lewis Hamilton is one, Daniel Ricardo and Yuki Sonoda for Alpha Tauri. So two potential options for a race seat for Alex Polo there. Um of course just kind of pending how the uh the drivers do the rest of the season with uh with Danny Ricks and, and Yuki. Um, Joe Guan Yu, Nico Hulkenberg, Kevin Magnuson, and Logan Sargent. So the other uh, the other team interested, Williams, has that seat that they haven't locked in a, a contract renewal with uh, Logan Sargent yet. Um, but with that said, Yuki Sonoda and Joe Guan Yu both have been reported to most likely be re-signing with their their teams for the upcoming season so okay it kind of leaves i'd say uh danny ricks and um logan Sargent and maybe lewis hamilton as the potential seats open for alex Pillow, you know uh wow. so <laughs> um but yeah some contract things and, and i think a lot of the teams now at this point we'll probably wait till we're towards the end of the season to officially sign contracts and all. I think Alpha Tauri has a lot up in the air to figure out. Um along with Williams, I think Haas has kind of said that they're planning to keep both Magnuson and Hulkenberg for another year, but nothing official yet. Um so yeah, there's there's some potential for opportunities. Um still with some of those seats. Um it sounds like though that a couple of the F2 drivers that we've seen probably are, well, they've kind of redirected their um, targets. So Teo Porcher, um, who is, I think he's top three right now. If not, he might be first in the F2 standings at the moment. Um, most likely is looking to either continue uh, like, towards another racing series and possibly go to like super formula or something like that. Uh, because it seems like the doors in F1 may not be opening for him. So trying mm -hmm. to look at, uh, instead of saying in F2 for another year, um, looking at another racing series at a high level to, to kind of look at opportunities. Uh, and then Liam Lawson, uh, similarly, after Daniel Ricciardo came into the Alpha Tauri seat, his name had come up a lot. Um, but he said that he's still focused on uh, driving in Super Formula this year and uh, looking to to hopefully 
find an opportunity for an F1 seat next year uh, if it's there, but if not, to just continue pushing forward with Super Formula. So it seems like F2 is like in some way a junior format where like you kind of want to get out of it before it's too late. Um, I th- sort of um, like for Teo Porcher, this is his third year in F2. He's still only 19 years old, but right. I think to some extent, the longer you're in F2 and not, being signed by a higher level team sure. uh, in some sort of racing series, the question kind of is like, well, what's wrong with him? Like, why, why is he not getting picked up? And it could be right. just like legitimately a timing thing. Like we, there are not a lot of F F one seats that are just, open like there there's just not and so the opportunities each year in f1 are going to be slim there's going to be and at any professional level there's 30 guys competing for one one open spot and so there's always going to be these guys that get left out uh and have to kind of if they want to continue racing look to find the the new path of their career and all um but we've seen like Alex Albon leave uh, F1 go. And I think he, I forget if he raced super formula or formula E Um, I think it was super formula uh, and then bounce back to F1 with Williams. So like those other series, I think do also have opportunities to, to get into F1 uh, potentially, but it's all about that timing and, and just kind of, everything kind of the stars aligning a little bit for uh for those things so of course right so the idea is like don't stick around in f2 hoping for f1 forever do your best in f2 that you can but when you are looking at f1 if the doors don't open go look for something else because yeah you can't stay you you don't have to go home but you can't stay here yeah, exactly. Uh, and Teo Porcher, so he is actually he's winning the F two, um, the F two season this year currently. So he's, I mean, performing Gosh. really, really well. Even though it's his third year in F one, like I said, he's only nineteen years old. Um, I mean, we saw twenty eight year old Nick DeVries get his rookie uh, opportunity this year in F one. So uh, there's. He's got a lot of time before he gets to, mm. to that level. But um, but yeah, I think after three years in F2, and especially if he does end up winning the, uh, the F2 championship, it's kind of like you, you've beat the competition there already. Like you've proven right. that you're above that level of racing. Right. So why stay in it and just like do the same thing again. Like you're not proving anything new. Um, of course. And so that's probably a uh, part of the way they look at it as well uh, from those driver standpoints, especially when there are series above it, but for something like formula one, like you want to keep the seat as long as you can. Oh that's, yeah. That's, that's the that's pinnacle. It. Yep. Right. It's the, the top of the mountain. Um, but to look at a couple other contract things, so with uh, looking over to Ferrari, 
there are rumors that Charles Leclerc has um, uh, spoken to a number of other teams, but then uh, ultimately decided to stay with Ferrari and do a uh, two-year extension with, I think, an option for three additional years. So um, nothing officially announced there yet, which I think also from Ferrari's side, they don't plan to because it sounds like they have told Carlos Sainz that they're not making any decisions on signing contracts and all until the end of the year. So if anything with Charles happened yet, that's being kept under wraps. Um, Mm. But from Carlos's side, there was a report that came out that he had signed a pre-contract with Audi. I think I had uh, mentioned that last week, but uh, he and his team came out and basically and vehemently denied. They're like option A, B, C are Ferrari, Ferrari, Ferrari. Like we are not trying to to look for opportunities elsewhere. Like this is where I want to be, kind of thing. Um, yeah, and all. And so he was. Uh, yeah, they were. From what I read, he was told that they're not going to decide on the uh driver lineup until um the end of the season and all and that's when they'll start negotiating contracts i mean both drivers are on for another year as is so um looking from 2024 or from s2025 season on um okay so kind of a interesting thing like it's when the uh the bad or the the rumors can kind of come up to bite you. Cause I have no, I, I don't know if he was talking to Audi or not. Uh, or if maybe someone from Audi was like, Hey, would you be interested? And he's like, mm-hmm. Hey, if, if like I need a place to drive and that's open, sure. And then all of a sudden someone's like, everyone, Carlos signs agreed to work. Like, yeah. Right. So who knows how yeah. it happened. So I, I, it seemed like that like denial was not necessarily uh like hush, hush, shut up everyone. No, I'm definitely not doing that. Or as much of a, like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, don't screw up my current contract negotiations where I'm trying right. to like, say because they'll think i'm one foot out the door and then i'm Mm -hmm. not gonna like they're not gonna want to work with me or whatever else so um so yeah an interesting uh like i guess part of the the contract negotiations and all the rumor mill uh can run amok a little bit well and that's where the trust must have to come in just big time when you're having these conversations between driver and team principal or driver and whoever where it's like um you have to be able to keep out of your mind or force out of your mind all of the hearsay that would be around and this and that and oh i heard and whatever um because it does seem like a this very like i don't want to say gossip but like word gets around mighty quick right it's Um, a small grid yeah 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 there's not while there's a lot of people in the organizations, like there's only so many here kind of thing. Um, So yeah, I guess that's where the trust comes in and where there actually are a bit of negotiations where you're trying to understand each other and, you know, like what have you heard about me kind of thing when you're coming to the table, you know, 
and right. trying to like lay all that to rest. Yeah, it's it's mm. just uh an extra extra hassle I think. And like yeah. like all it takes is one person not hearing the whole story or whatever else to spread the wrong information around and the next of thing course. you know you're you're trying to put out fires all over the all over the forest. So mm-hmm. um but uh, kind of the, the final little contract thing that I thought was interesting. So this is uh, current contracts, but there apparently is a clause in Checo's contract that if he's losing to Max by 125 points, they can reduce his like salary and things like that within his like contract, I guess, for whatever gap of time he would be uh below that that barrier and so he is currently exactly 125 points down on max whether or not red bull actually is like you know what checko we're cutting your paycheck uh i don't know if they would actually do that especially looking at the um kind of bounce back to form that we've seen from checko the last uh last race and a half or so um Mm. where he's looked a lot better um performed well and everything but he's now got that gap to max and it the way things are going it will just slowly uh more slowly than before just kind of expand i don't know if red bull would necessarily be like all right checko hand it over um I yeah, it like... sounds not fun for both parties. Yeah. To actually, like, have to come collect on that clause. Yeah, I think that's a, a weird one, and especially looking at how he his form has come back. Uh, at least your your most recent race is the, the only thing I can think about uh, in terms of how well you're driving. Like, that recency bias, I think you would have to say why would we do this to the guy that's just mm-hmm. gonna like knock him down even more we want it like he signed till the end of 2024 why would we want to like <laughs> just hit him while he kick him while he's down a little bit um yeah it's so, like biting the hand that feeds you yeah it's like okay yeah let's uh let's make our team do worse by getting in our driver's head that mm-hmm. sounds like a great idea <laughs> um but uh to kind of wrap up the f1 segments mm-hmm. uh i had to end it with a max stat um i need to get like a little intro song for that but beep, beep, beep. uh but i saw uh that the longest active point streak so top three active point streaks in f1 currently are Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton in second and third with 12 races in a row in the points. And then first is Max with 31 races in a row in the points. And so that's all. That's your max stat for the day. Damn. So that's like more than a full season in the points. Yep. Hell yeah. That's pretty good. So has not finished outside of the points. Um, I, I think that does not include like DNFs. I think it's like races they finish um, finishing in the points. But mm. uh, but yeah, max stats, man. They are quite impressive. 
they they just catch my eye when they they look that absurd. Um, so the that, large number problem. Yeah, it's uh well, and and just the like even from Max to Lewis, like or, or and Fernando, like second and third place, he's more than double theirs. Like that's mm-hmm. crazy. That's it's mm-hmm. a lot of races in a row. Yeah, especially um, if somebody is like, ooh, look how dominant Mercedes was. You could pull up stats that are like, yeah, not really. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. that's a, a pretty, pretty big uh, gap. But looking over at the League of Legends matchups we had uh, over in the LPL, we were looking at JDG versus LNG for the LPL finals. Um, and so we, we actually ended up... so. LNG beat Billy Billy Gaming, who uh, had their rematch against JDG. Um, they beat Billy Billy Gaming three to one, go on to the finals, and so LNG uh, put up a really a really good fight in this matchup. Um, from from the get go, they kind of went for a very like brawly uh, team fight centered comp. They were looking to to really go in with the Wukong, with the Nico, um, Rakan, Kasante, they they wanted to get in there and blow up the carries of JDG. Uh, in game one, it didn't quite pan out for them, but I just, I felt like their comp had a lot of uh, good prospects for it from LNG's side, and I, I really liked the cohesion of it. Um, they just... It was kind of the scenario that we see with a lot of JDG games where they just kind of outskilled them in that first game in the team fights and all. They were able to peel back like really well and re-engage the fights, um, just drag out the team fights and, and kind of avoid that initial burst that LNG was looking to do um, to to go on and win that first game. Yeah, in in scenarios where LNG, like especially Scout, was able to find these like really clean kind of flank angles and get the uh, like the pop seed, whatever the ability is called, get the pop seed off. Um, and to be fair, like LNG kind of had dragon control through a lot of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they had I, I think they had three or they may even have had dragon soul. Um, and it wasn't until that second Baron. Okay. So they had three Drakes. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until that second Baron, I believe where the, the side of JDG was able to like get positional advantage on the Baron, start it and then turn on LNG and ruler just stays untouched. He's just able to free fire the whole time. They get the Baron, just shove Mm. in, just like crack the gold wide open, bro. And then in the mid lane, like, like not even like, it's not even over yet. I think LNG, the next fight, they, they still, they still had it and like you could yeah. still see the setup was good ruler just doesn't die in the fight he like he's flashing over the wall he's zonia's like he just uses every tool available but just stays alive in that final fight and is just able to clean everybody up yeah and that started out too with kanavi also not dying that mm-hmm. tree was tanky he was mm-hmm. i mean he was just getting assaulted and they couldn't they couldn't kill him and so there was so much wasted on the tree 
that you end up with this just tough situation where your cooldowns are down and everything else on LNG's side, uh, and JDG is going to be able to kind of go in, have ruler free hitting from the outside and, and turn that fight. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was that was huge from Kanavi to be able to uh, to stay alive there. Um, looking at game two, JDG kind of goes for uh, a bit of a similar comp, looking to to really protect um, Ruler again. I mean, he's he's phenomenal, so let him carry kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I I liked, and I'm liking more this Rel jungle pick. I think it's. I know it's like being played more often, so it's not really a niche pick or anything like that anymore. Um, but it's just uh, always interesting to me when a champion like kind of goes from being a single primary like role that they're played in, like Rel with the support role, um, to all of a sudden being like, oh, wait, we can like play that in the jungle. Oh, mm-hmm. Karma? Karma can go mid too. Oh, and Karma can go top lane and you can play tank Karma or whatever the, the other uh, kind of changes happen that, that mm-hmm. shift the, the meta around. But um, but yeah, I, I like that pick a lot. And um, Tarzan played it really, really well. The ultimates that he was able to get off were, were super impressive. Um, on the other side, missing really stood out early on with his Alistar engages. Like he was getting um, just every knockup, headbutt, just going in and disrupting a lot in the team fights. But it just very quickly ends up being him just like getting these great engages with no follow-up damage and just Mm. dying as we get further and further into the game. Um, And uh, I I mean, I just, from LNG's side, the team comp, I liked it a lot. Getting LeBlanc is a a really big pick. Um, So big power pick in the mid lane. The Tristana with the resets and everything has looked really good. Um, mm-hmm. in all the, the regions that we're seeing it very, very popular pick. So, um, just on their side as a whole, I, I really like the comp. It's kind of tough on JDG's side to have really that one primary source of damage with the burst, uh, uh, addition of the, the Annie for night as well. Sure. We're once, um, we're once night wrote, um, like burst is done then he's not really offering too much where rulers the only like consistent uh consistent team fight damage and you saw um yeah you saw in the final fight where scout on the leblanc is able to find the uh kind of the backline angle get the chains on the ruler pops him and then like the the fight's kind of over we see the tibber's not doing a whole lot like mm-hmm. you were saying in like that mid to late game there was that there was that sweet spot in the like early to mid game where in the jungle chokes um we see annie with the tibbers being very effective you know mm-hmm. mopping up a couple of like three for ones or whatever it is um but those types of fights were not enough uh you know for for the jdg side of it so yeah we see lng clap back in game two with uh like you said a a a pretty interesting draft with the uh with the rail jungle yeah and so going into game three with it all tied up um 
LNG kind of came out and and switched up their comp again, um, going for a little bit more of a scaling comp with that strong, uh, strong early top side with the the Renekton and the Maokai. Um, but on the other side, JDG kind of, I felt like with their comp they had to snowball early, otherwise mm-hmm. they were gonna just get further and further behind. Um, it's, it's the danger of the, the two, um, uh, the two mark, the, yeah, two marksman comps that Mm -hmm. are being played where if they, they don't get ahead, it can be pretty bad, but. Well, um, and to speak specifically like about the matchup, we see um we see Gala or Gala Hong and Tarzan set up a really nice play on the bottom side early where they kind of catch missing and ruler on like half of a rotation. I think they were I think they were like checking the dragon pit to see like if they could get vision on Tarzan. Mm. And they were just like all right there. You see, dude, and these are rare mistakes in my mind from teams like this, but you can mm-hmm. see how much it matters where ruler, like he stepped back out of the bush, like in front of his team, he separated himself for just like a frame or two, right? That's when Hong he's able to land the dredge line and just like b- basically create that skirmish out of nowhere where just ruler and missing were just they were just trying to get vision. They were able to they were able to capitalize and you see just how much this misstep leads to LNG being able to take a bunch of dragon control. They just have that whole bottom side of the map. Um you know, Zika in this game, the Renekton, he he's able to even influence the bottom side of the map. Uh, so we just see a lot of a lot of play from LNG, like gaining their advantages through this bottom side of the map and and sweeping that into the late game. Yeah. And when they uh, get later in the game and go to like, it felt like after a certain point, LNG just really controlled the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. They're the ones making the objective plays. They're going to Baron. They're turning off Baron and chasing down Those JDG. Those were the key plays. They're, they're in that... They knew they were in the lead, and they took that position and really uh, forced forced uh, JGG into some team fights they probably didn't want to take. Um, mm-hmm. and so there's still that ability for a good team like LNG to, um, to have the potential to like win those early games and all, and get themselves a nice lead to be able to, to play from ahead and to play it out cleanly. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's oftentimes I feel like in these tight games that JDG finds that way to come out on top. So LNG wins game three. Uh, and going into to game four, it's kind of it. Well, it is do or die for JDG. Um, they go for a little bit of a different comp. They pick the Ari. Uh, they take the Wukong and the the Gragas again uh, in the top side for three six nine. Um, LNG kind of flips the other side. The the dual marksman comp mm-hmm. uh, with the hyper carries and everything, um, but. JDG just seemed to kind of always have an answer for any of LNG's moves that they made in that in that game. Um, each time LNG they go and get first blood, JDG gets the return kill right away. Mm-hmm. Um, JDG 
like loses Harold, they go and take Dragon, or like just it was very uh kind of oh you do this all right we're gonna we're gonna keep up and they kept that gold uh very very tight as the game was going on and then we're able to really get some picks and all uh and then of course at the baron uh lng just gets um they it was like it was very ambitious baron attempt from lng where they just like okay we can't take it but then JDG just jumps on that opportunity. Like, oh, you're basing? We're going to take Baron now, and we're just mm-hmm. going to start aggressively kind of closing out from here. Yeah, I think it was a really smart, like, understanding of the win conditions of the team comp, where if you let, um, you know, Sedge, Nott, Kesante, plus the double, double marksman, like, if you let them get to, you know, the later stages of the game, they are going to be able to rip you apart with the, uh, with the amount of range that they would have available. Um, so yeah, JDG playing to their win conditions and getting the aggression out early and, uh, kind of forcing, uh, forcing, like you were talking about earlier in the series, kind of forcing the tempo of the match or forcing the tempo of the, of the game. Yeah, and and once they had that bear, like there was there was no stopping. Like they they just pushed down, got more kills each time someone's respawning. They're just mm-hmm. killing them, pushing forward. Um, so a strong way to close out um that game four. Going into some silver scrapes, some game five action. Um, but LNG again goes and shifts their comp a bit more. Um. And I feel like after seeing them kind of shift their comp each game, obviously there are components of the draft that play into that. But at the same time, I felt like they were kind of trying to outmaneuver JDG a little bit where they're like, we're not going to be able to beat you playing the same thing head to head again and again and again. You're a good enough team that you're going to adapt and figure out what we did and figure out how to beat us. We're Mm going to change it up each time. So you're constantly in this mode of pivoting to and reacting to us. And so they go with the zigs in the bot lane, the Jason, the the mid lane, the Lilia in the jungle, um, really going for kind of this, this pokey long range comp and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Melio, um, made it all the way through the bands and then doesn't get picked uh, on either side. So that was uh, an interesting uh, kind of part of that draft because Melio had been banned out pretty consistently uh, in, uh, yeah, just making sure, but in all the earlier games, but JDG kind of went for what they, uh, they know a bit more, especially with the uh, uh, Alistar for missing um, he had, mm-hmm. like I had said, he had looked really good on that. Um, but it, this, this was a, a pretty, pretty tight game as well. I mean, JDG gets ahead in the bot lane. LNG kind of reacted in the top lane, gets the kill on three, six, nine. Um, LNG was able to get a little bit of gold lead, but it was, uh, uh, just a pretty back and forth match for for a little bit for game five 
Yeah, I thought I thought game five was really exciting. Honestly, the um, the poke comp that LNG drafted, I thought was very exciting putting Gala on the uh, zigs, which it's 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 fascinating to see what LNG do with the Jace comp as compared to what JDG does with the Jace comp mm. like Knight, He just picks Jace. He doesn't care he uh, whatever whatever the rest of the team comp is he's just like yeah yeah, jay seems fine here but Mm -hmm. on the flip side you see lng like they pick totally for it they get the ap in the bottom lane so they're you know so their damage isn't too like stacked in one way it's interesting how they uh, totally shift their their draft around for it um but yeah i thought i thought the game was really exciting but there was the play down in the bottom lane man where they're like they're all dancing around whatever it was like the seventh dragon or something yeah i believe they they both had a bunch and the so the play just totally breaks down they're all you know you see jdg's like in the bottom side lng's like kind of walking through the jungle they're just kind of window shopping and then ruler the camera like flashes down all of a sudden rulers in like a 2v1 he just finds the angle wins the fight jdg's just like able to get their guys in follow up but i was like wait where did that even come from it's it was so crazy how like after such a series it just gets cracked open by ruler just like yeah just fight me yeah. And and he just like wins the two v one. I mean he he was he was fancy footwork. It wasn't like a like a walk in the park, but it was just crazy to see the uh, awareness from Ruler to understand that like he could take that fight and kind of take the positional advantage there at that the you know the tip of that that bottom lane. Um, and then I a lot of advantage then from that fight goes into JDG's favor. They still have some work to do yet, but that was that was a wild play from Ruler. Yeah, and uh I think it was Zika that he killed there um on the bot side. So you're mm. taking out one of the the big tanks uh in front line for LNG. Um the like you're kind of just eliminating their ability to to play their comp out that way. There's no threat of like people diving in and doing a lot of damage. Uh, all you have is the rel that can go in and, and put some CC down, but without mm. the, the damage follow-up or any other disruption, like they're just going to wait that out and, and turn on, uh, turn on your carries. So uh, yeah, Zika, Zika getting picked off there. And then uh, JDG took the elder dragon. So it was the, I guess, sixth dragon. Um, or so because it was the elder um uh but yeah jdg take the championship they've won three titles in a row now in the lpl which is uh which is pretty huge not something like we've talked about that's super common uh to Mm -hmm. see over there because there has been so much parity with other um other teams coming in and uh kind of disrupting that so pretty um pretty impressive to to just continue the strong performances uh that they've had in um in the recent splits Mm -hmm. yeah big time i thought that was uh i thought that was a great series and then we have the um you know we also had the regional qualifier tournament after the um you know the summer season playoffs so that gives us the other 
three teams for worlds to qualify correct or just two uh, more just two because uh billy billy gaming qualified for worlds um by having the so jdg winning the title auto qualifies them for worlds billy billy gaming ended up with the uh most outside of jdg um uh points championship points so they, okay. they have the second seed and so the uh regional qualify regional qualifiers um were getting the last two spots filled out of the top four teams that were left okay very cool so that's um i believe weibo gaming and edg so weibo um top esports edg weibo and lng were the ones that were in the uh regional qualifier mm-hmm. um and then we had uh lng and weibo gaming were the two teams that qualified so there was a initial matchup between lng and edg um where it was uh i guess kind of the top side of that where it was edg got a double elimination um being like the second seed maybe uh, i Mm -hmm. guess and so lng qualified beating them 3-1 top esports and weibo gaming went to five games weibo gaming came out on top to go to the second qualification match against EDG um, and Weibo gaming came out on top there. So we'll have Weibo gaming, LNG esports, um, Billy, Billy gaming and JDG as our four representatives from the LPL. That's pretty exciting, dude. And Billy, Billy gaming on the map, this Chinese esports organization, they have their, uh, they have their League of Legends team going to the World Championships. They have their Valorant team at Champions right now, um, which is like kind of part of the like Valorant storyline where Chinese Valorant is kind of on the rise. We're seeing a couple of these, you know, bigger organ like bigger in 2023 organizations um, coming in and you know really really kind of making some waves. Uh, so that's that's quite exciting. We have the uh, we have the four teams live. Locked in there from China. Yep. So only region that we have um, all the teams locked in from as of yet. Yep. So uh, we do have two of the teams from the LCS that are going to be there. So NRG and Cloud9 both have qualified already, but uh, oh, no. still playing for seeding there in the LCS playoffs. Um, Cloud9 beat Evil Geniuses, I believe. Um just the other day to make it to that um semifinals matchup against NRG. So Whoa. uh so yeah, definitely a uh exciting time as we're solidifying some of these teams for worlds. It's interesting seeing like LPL, they're gonna have this huge gap in time between now and world. So um it'll be uh good opportunity to to yeah telescope or uh binoculars mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. telescope binoculars to to look that far out ahead of time but um but yeah we've still got a lot to solidify so we'll we'll be looking at the uh the other regions coming up um speaking of we had the end of the regular season over in the lck 
And we have, yeah, so this is a matchup between T1 and Live Sandbox. This is the first matchup with Faker back, um, you know, getting ready for hopefully being able to, uh, you know, get their get their spot in the playoffs. Um, so this is T1 versus Live Sandbox right at, right at the end. Um, currently, like as of as of recording, we are in the LCK playoffs, uh, but we want to take a look at the match where where Faker comes back and honestly. This was um, this was actually quite an interesting series. Kind of surprised that it went all three games, but the I think the team comp that Live Sandbox drafted in game two just really uh, really kind of took T one off guard. The Ari Nocturne kind of assassination comp, and mm. then it. It, and it and it didn't even end up being about that. Like they were going to be able to find the engages regardless. But it was Kyle Kyle on the rail and just with the vision control, man. Like if you watch right at the end of the game where where Live Sandbox in game two is like able to seal it up there, dude. And you even see I'm I'm trying to think I. I think owner's playing Sejuani in game two. He even is like checking that sector of the jungle. Like he can feel the lack of vision. He can feel like the depths of darkness that is up there. And like, mm. like if, if you just watch owner, like you can sense or you can see that he senses Kyle, like, like he knows that that play is being made. So live sandbox. They end up like fulfilling this it ends up being like a 45 second minute baron setup where they get the long flank for kyle and then they set up on to gumayusi with the um with the nocturnal and the ariel able to get on top of him kill him end the game there so and, and even in game one like it was kind of a slow start for a t1 um so not the like the best return to form Although we see the the clear cut examples of like the decisiveness that T1 exudes when mm. Faker is in the lineup, mm. um, specifically in game one, the play where T1's able to catch the Gwen out in the bottom lane. Mm. They have Gumayushi there with their top laner, so they they two v one the Gwen. At the very same time, if you look across the map, Live Sandbox is like, okay, cool, this is a 4v3. So they get on to the Baron. T1 mm. pushes into the river. They teleport Kesante back to base to teleport, to summoner teleport to the Baron. They have Gumiyushi running all the way up the river t1's actually able to stop this baron play mm. and it's like you can tell the comms have to be like frame perfect basically of get the Kesante to base get him to the baron pit so like you could see the uh you could see the puppeteering from just like the comms from t1 in general you can't say it's all up to faker but you can see it's much more of a well-oiled machine when faker is there say what you want about the matchups he didn't really look that great specifically in game two but t1 as a whole looks much better when fakers in the lineup that's for sure 
They do. And looking at uh, even Fager's performances, I didn't felt I, I didn't feel like it was anything even in game two that he was necessarily doing wrong uh, outside of that. It was really just one moment that I was like, oh, like he messed that up. And it was in the early Baron fight uh, or early fight around the Baron pit. I forget if it was around Harold or if it was first Baron. Um, but T1 throws this like massive amount of engage right at Willer to try and blow up the Nocturne early. Um, they like go in after him, um, but then it takes too long to get the kill. And so all of a sudden, there are three members of T1 back, and your two tanky forms of engage, your Sedwani and your Nar, are separated. And so mm. you see Faker, which this is where I felt like I, I was kind of surprised. He rocket jumps into the Baron pit and then immediately gets closed in on by uh, Clear. And I think it was uh, Clear and Kyle, Kale, or uh, however you say it, uh, on the rel are just in Faker's face. So then he has to flash away. And at that point, Teddy is able to Kaisa ult right after him over the Baron Pit wall and just blow him up for whatever health he had left. Um, Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden, you're without one of your main forms of damage on T1 side. Uh, Your two tanks are isolated away from the squishy members of your team, not able to really protect them at all. Um, So it was a little bit of an overcommitment from T1, but that that micro misplay from faker kind of, I, I think he could have um probably rocket jumped over towards red buff instead of into the baron pit and isolated mm-hmm. himself a little bit more um from uh live sandbox's damage but um outside of that i felt like just the kaisa got too big for teddy and he like when he's able to just ult that faker hit Q and faker pops like later in the game is dead. Oh, yeah, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just that, like at that point, there is no counterplay. Like you're so far behind, like mm-hmm. faker had just gotten so far, or, or I guess the Kaisa for Teddy had just gotten so far ahead. Yeah. Uh, more so that he's just doing stupid damage. Um, so yeah, live live sandbox really just was able to um outplay them and and that team comp definitely was uh a nice wrinkle in the plans cuz I think it threw T1 off. They were kind of um not as prepared going into to that kind of uh matchup and it it played out about that way um mm-hmm. with the yeah the i really like the draft from sandbox i thought that was i thought that was really heads up and then the like playing the vision control necessary to get those really good engages um yeah i thought that i, I thought game two was sweet from live sandbox and then you go into game three and you can feel it in the air it's getting very close to world's time which means lee sin starts to just get a little shinier he starts to seem just a little better maybe ah 
maybe I'll take him out for a drive today. And it's just like, it's literally just the owner show on Lee Sin. His early game was so strong. I believe he affected, I I think he had impact in all three lanes when he went. That topside gank onto the Jacks, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Like, he even knows he's there. He knows he's there. The ward is in the bush for him anyway, but he still gets... Uh, he still gets the kill. He's able to yeah. take that advantage elsewhere. And really, I, I think it's owner just like kind of controlling that early game. Faker's just being a turret somewhere. And uh but yeah, game three was game three was fun if you're an unowner fan. Yeah, and seeing the lease in is uh is exciting. Um Live Sandbox definitely had some some missteps there. Willer got a little greedy going for um for owner's raptors for like with no ward coverage or knowledge of where owner was early on mm-hmm. gets picked off there. Um and and they did like bounce back a little bit. They get the uh the Leona ult onto Faker while he's clearing uh the pink ward um in the river brush uh by mid and everything and and pick him off but um as a whole like faker just did his thing um kind of just tried to say like you said be a turret stay alive and and put out uh damage from three screens away um Mm -hmm. but yeah owner and then of course guma on top of that uh, once he had the lead, they just were were so good uh, for T1 to to wrap that out and close out the uh, the series two to one. Yeah, I think that was uh, quite an exciting way to end the uh, regular season play here for our uh, for our for you know our enjoyment of LCK. We're gonna have a couple of um, couple of playoff matches maybe to talk about um, here on next week's show. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be all playoffs here for the LCK. Uh, but that was T1 live sandbox, like Aaron said, two to one victory for T1. Faker's back. Yep, he's back, baby, just in time. Um... But we uh, we also had the IEM Cologne CSGO tournament uh, mm-hmm. that you wanted to get into a little bit, particularly semifinals and finals, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. So why don't you mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and lead into it? Yeah, so I'll just I'll just give you a kind of like the highlight. So my big surprise, like my big disappointment here was the heroic loss to Astralis. And fair enough, like watching the rest of the tournament astralis is just like big time like on the rise like they are they're making moves at the previous major um at the previous major astralis showed up like pretty well got got knocked out but now they are so they have device in the lineup as their awp player old like old time name big time player is like putting up uh putting up some really big performances but the big change for astralis specifically is their new in-game leader i believe his name is blame f so like a totally new leading voice who he himself has had to kind of come into the in-game leader role um so with kind of this like re rejigged lineup um astralis comes into cologne just on a tear so this is just the um their lower bracket run so they lose 2-1 to g2 esports in their 
um, in their Group B, and then they 2-0 Nip, they 2-0 Maus, they 2-1 Na'Vi, who arguably are kind of in like a little bit of a rework, and then they 2-0 Heroic as well. So Astralis is just like literally every call that they that they made every map every play it was just it was just working it was literally it's literally like a movie where like every play they called it just it just went really well until until they meet up with G2 in the semifinals the map pool for Astralis was just horrible so G2 is i think at this current time to my understanding I think G2 right now is the best Inferno team. I think just flat. I think they have the best Inferno, specifically the T sides, I believe. Um, So the map pool for Astralis just looked pretty tough. Ancient was a little bit better. But yeah, so Astralis' run ends against G2. But where my fan eyes were i was really hoping to see heroic make another run major winners from this year but they lose 2-0 to astralis but like i said they were on a tear i mean who who really was gonna beat them right um Mm. team vitality in the quarterfinals beats cloud nine but then lose two to one to ents ents israeli counter-strike on the map these dudes come in just playing hot they qualify right into the semifinals based on their group stage performance so they don't even have to worry about the quarters so they're right in they get to watch vitality's match which is i think in that position like pretty strong um so ends 2-1 against vitality they earn their spot in the grand finals against g2 esports who on the same day, like we had talked about, beats Astralis 2-0. The Inferno map just looks wild. So that kind of that kind of sets up our, our final four. We get G2 Esports versus Ents in the final. And again, the map pool is looking... It's looking okay because we get Inferno out of there. Ents doesn't have to worry about it. Anubis, Ancient, and Vertigo all start to look really good for Ents in the map pool compared to compared to G2, but it's that it's that nuke and mirage that they've got to get through first, which are significantly um gonna be arguably like kind of G2 favorite in that sense. But I believe the worst part about it they Ents loses their own map pick. So I believe mm. Nuke, which was yeah. like they opt into first, G2 wins in a massacre this was not even close the yeah, whole scoreline and that's brutal it was rough like literally nothing ents was trying to do on the t side or the ct side was working they just had they just had the whole thing locked down so yeah the first the first kind of half of the the series does not go well for ents anubis looks much better like much better they look like a totally different team the way they understood that map their their a hits specifically on the t side for ents were unstoppable they were so fast and it was even these like they were even in like 4v5 post plant scenarios but they their a a site setup was just so strong that 
G2 like opted out many times. They were just like, yeah, yeah, this is just a save here. Um, so Ence's Anubis was very strong, but then you get to Ancient Map 4 for, for G2. Looks fine for Ents, like based on other performances, but by this point, I mean they're they're firing on all cylinders, especially Nico mm-hmm. and Monacy. Like Monacy is here, he has his tent at this point, like he's in full AWP mode. He's got a couple of rounds, man, that are just like wild out of this kid. Um, so G2 ends up taking it 16 to 9 on that final map win the series 3-1, everybody just pops the fuck off. What was really exciting was, no matter who won, it was going to be new people winning Cologne, like, for the first time. So that's, Mm. like, it's kind of what's so special about the Final Four is, like, it's a bunch of teams that had never really done it before, um, which would have been uh, quite interesting. I guess Vitality would have. But, yeah, the Grand Final was quite an interesting little storyline there. And final note here, it was casted by my boy Sponge and Machine. So the cast was just like super fun, super good. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would definitely go and go and check out that that grand final. It was super fun. Nice. I will. Uh, I'll definitely uh, go back and check it out. But I mean, both of these teams have been performing well. Like Ents, for instance, they uh, finished first at IEM Dallas, then second at. Katowice, uh, mm-hmm. and then second out Cologne. So they they've been really uh, on a, a heater recently. Um, but G two as well, just like uh, that's they have a, a phenomenal lineup. So the potential for them to just pop off or, or have these insane performances is always kind of there. Uh, mm. So pretty pretty cool and. Uh, yeah, definitely we'll we'll be going back to watch those um those matchups for the the finals there at the IEM Cologne. Yeah, it was a it was a good tournament, but last thing I want to I want to bend your ear about, just want to talk a little bit about magic, kind of talk about what I'm what I'm buying recently, kind of what I'm brewing on. Um we've done a good amount of work to kind of clear out, I'll call it like a backlog of cards, cards that I don't think I'm going to be playing with in the near future, turn those into cards that I can play with in the near future. So I have a buy order out for a play set of hallowed fountains. Um, part of my goal is to get a bunch of the, um, staple lands that mm. are played in a bunch of different formats and are what ultimately are like the backbone of your, uh, magic the gathering decks is the mana base that you need to cast your spells mm-hmm. um and when you're trying to play multiple colors in a deck you need the mana base to support that so if you're trying to play green white and blue cards you need lands that are going to on time give you those correct colors you know to be able to cast your spells right you don't want to be wait go ahead uh, can colorless mana be used for anything or is it only for colorless mana only for generic spells like you can't use a colorless mana to you to pay for a green pip on a card okay just making making sure there 
Right. Um, I, I um, thought that was the case, but yeah, but you can use colored mana to pay generic costs. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But when you're in, you know, if you want a two drop that's both blue and white and you want that two drop on turn two, you know, you're ne- you need your lands to give you both blue and white or uh, have some kind of modality in that way. So gotcha. instead of thinking like I need the, the spells, I think I've come to the realization that I have enough spells but if I want to play a varied amount of deck lists, the best place to start would be the mana base, right? So mm. starting, I started with the steam vents for Phoenix, for blue-red Phoenix. So that's my playset of the blue-red shocks. Now I've got my playset of the blue-white shocks. That's going to go into, uh, for Pioneer, it's called blue-white spirits. So it's like a tempo strategy where you're using a bunch of low-costed, evasive creatures to control your opponent's board and, like, swing in for combat damage in the air. But you're in blue and white for this, so I'm looking to put together the blue-white mana base here. Um, Because then not only can those Hallowed Fountains and Steam Vents be played in Pioneer, I can take them to Modern, I could take them to Legacy, I could take them to this or that other format. Whereas, like, just a random 7-drop from this set or whatever, like, they may only go, that may only be played in one deck, but these lands, gotcha. they're going to be ubiquitous. So a one-time buy is, like, it... it it's got like more of a potential rating, you could call it. Um, okay. So my my goals have kind of been like to the mana bases. I'm looking at shock lands, fetch lands, um, and really just thinking about less and like being a little more specific instead of looking at like shapes, worrying about details. Um, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. excited about it. Well, it's solid too. Like, especially to find a box that has a mix of what you're looking for that you can, instead of going out and having to buy all these individuals, you can hopefully find a lot of those uh, cracking some packs and all, which is uh, mm-hmm. which is part of the fun as well. So you get oh, to yeah. uh, dive in on that and scratch that itch, as they say. But yeah, there's just go. a little bit of Magic the Gathering brewing here. But uh, yeah, let's get these people out of here. Let let me hear about your flavor of the week. Sounds good. So for my uh, food this week, um, down at the shore, we did a seafood boil. We like Ooh. got all the all the stuff from a store that sells it with the little metal container and everything. You bring it home, throw it on the stovetop, cook it all up with the corn and potatoes and all the seafood that you uh, throw in there. So that was awesome. I haven't done that before, uh, but enjoyed it quite a bit. So uh, a nice, that sounds great. Nice little seafood dinner at the beach uh, for my, my music or um, uh, not, not really music on the way back from the beach. I tuned back into the tiny meat gang podcast, which I had not listened to in a very, very long time. Um, Our boys. Yep. So I was listening to, to Cody and Noel a bit. Um, I was cracking up. It was, I, on my ride home, I was like, 
I just didn't have any sort of vibe of music that I wanted to listen to. And I'm like, you know what? I haven't listened to a podcast in like a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and check that out. And so it was, it was awesome to, to laugh along with, uh, with them after not having uh, listened for quite some time, dive back in. Um, and so I, I'm thinking I may mix that into my, my drive uh, here and there a little bit more. Um, but then for my visual medium this week, I have been, um, I, I think I mentioned it, but I've been going through some of the like DC comic, like primarily Batman uh, type shows that are on yeah. HBO and all, but I dove in a little bit uh, to the show Titans, which mm-hmm. um, I I don't know if it's like a CW show or like or what, whatever it is. Either way, um, very like I've enjoyed it so far. I'm only three or four episodes in, but um, it kind of looks more at Robin or Dick Grayson and kind mm-hmm. of his time post being Batman sidekick and all, at least at, at the start of this. Um, but also mixing in some of the other um, characters, I guess that you have seen from like teen Titans uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. You have Raven, you have, uh, I think the one woman is Starfire. I'm just assuming. Gotcha. Um, but, is there beast boy? Uh, beast boy makes an appearance, but he has not been like, like you see him as a tiger like running amok somewhere and then just like out into the like runs out into the woods as he like transforms back into person fun. uh but you don't really get like it's more of a he's here kind of thing but not really a part of the overarching plot yet gotcha. or, like hasn't connected to that quite yet um so I have not seen Cyborg yet, but uh, but yeah, a lot of the the Teen Titans um, have started making their appearances in the show, uh, hence That's the name, exciting. of course. But uh, it's been fun, kind of checking that out a little bit, and uh, just I, I love the DC comics and especially like the Batman part of the universe. So this yeah. tertiary uh, like Robin and. Uh, Nightwing or any of that stuff is still in that same like vein for me. So, um, so yeah, that's my flavor of the week. Very cool. The Batman mythos is um, it's quite rich. I have to say uh, Gotham city is, is, is always fun to, uh, to visit for sure. Um, but yeah, so my visual medium here, the, the most wholesome show you've ever watched it's called sweet magnolias uh i i may have talked to you about it before but uh these are the kinds of shows that sarah likes to put on after after a hard day of work and just experience something that's you know got no no sharp edges on it at all it's just good uh family content uh but sweet magnolia season three finale this is the way to do it people especially in today's day and age where like you don't know if your show is going to be repicked up if you have a season four or not end it with a party 
just a party they ended it with a wedding you get everybody into the room you can give you know your nice little cameo shots be like remember this person remember that person and you can just seal it up really nice even if your shit doesn't get picked up because then at the end of it if it you know if sweet magnolias never has another thing at least in our minds it's not this like this nagging question of what the hell happened to Maddie? I need to know what happened to Maddie. Do you remember the conversation? And then, you know, just for the rest of my life, I'll be I love incomplete. how you are. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just... You're hooked. <laughs> I am. I'm very hooked, but I'll be okay because of how good the finale was. I'll be okay if there's not another season. Um Dana Sue ends up back with Ronnie. They renew the vows. Everybody's happy. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a hoot. It's a hoot of a good time. Um, but I'm super happy for it to be over. I, those shows make my skin crawl in some way. My food <laughs> here for the week, uh, classic family favorite cilantro lime chicken. Sarah's got it like locked in now. And I think this is how she did it last time that I talked about it. But she did it with the little like chicken breast with the bone in. So you get Ooh. some of the like okay. marrow fats and all the like uh, the connective tissue and all that. Mm. Nice. So tasty. And her brew for it, the cilantro lime uh, mixture that she's got going on. So tasty. Shout out to that meal. And then my music here for the week. Some classic rock has got me feeling like nostalgic and thinking about like getting quote unquote getting older. So there's that John Cougar Mellencamp song, Jack and Diane, right? Mm -hmm. Is is that who wrote that originally? I think think it is. Um... Okay. I hope it is. Uh, for all of our older yeah. listeners, I apologize. John, yep. John Mellencamp. There we go. So John Cougar Mellencamp, Jack and Diane. He has that line, and it's so haunting. He says, life keeps on going long after the thrill of living is gone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, he must have wrote that when he was 19 years old or whatever, right? Like, these aren't in some way it's so haunting to me that these young individuals can have this this sense that it's like like it's not all good in some way right where like he's in his youth singing this but all the while saying like yeah man for some people they just they stop living they stop having fun living and there's something to that yeah or or um i i feel like uh someone's just experiences kind of shape that and like being a very observant and and fortunately musical uh musically talented person like you you have to wonder like what caused it like is he looking at his grandmother and going like mm-hmm. she like she's not enjoying what's going on right now with like her health or this or that and it's like long after that um long after those periods where you can really just live life like 
you're still around in a lot for a lot of folks and you're still you're having to kind of adapt to um how life is without those excitements of the mm-hmm. of just things from youth that you have the ability or whatever else to to do so sure yeah well and and then the other angle is you know jack and diane's a song i've heard a million times but it's in those kind of like maybe quieter moments where you hear the lyric in in just a a different way where it it sounds Mm. completely different it takes on like a whole new meaning and you're just like damn like this isn't how i heard that line like 15 years ago or whatever it sounded very different yeah one probably didn't even hear that you were paying attention to maybe other elements but now <laughs> like you've lived a little bit of life you've got some you know yeah you, like, uh, you, you've scraped your knee a little bit and now it's like oh shit like that's yep. that's a very sad thing to say but it's so true in a lot of ways and then it and then it reminds me to like yeah, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to take anything for granted here, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, that's, like, that's what I've been thinking about as far as music. These, like, old songs that I've known are, like, I'm I'm hearing them in, in like, weird different ways. I'm just, like, I'm just in my car going, like, damn, Mellencamp, like, that's heavy, bro. You know, I'm, like... <laughs> I, I mean... I, I get it though. Like I've come across and whether it's like funny lyrics, like childish Gambino mm. stuff where mm-hmm. I'm listening later on in life. And from me learning more about X, Y, or Z thing that all of a sudden yeah. like things click, like it can be the same thing with something like that. And you're like at a point in life where you are like, have more life experience or like, Oh, I'm like seeing what he was seeing when he like right. wrote this kind of thing. And it's not just that like fun lyric or, or thing that you kind of gloss over anymore. So, yeah, it's like, Oh, there's, there's something here. And like, no wonder it has so much staying power. No wonder like these songs mean so much to so many people. It's like, Oh yeah, there is, there is some, something, uh, something in there. But yeah, so that's my flavor of the week here. Nice. Uh, Well, as always, ladies and gents, that does bring us to the end of this week's episode. Um, We appreciate all you uh, taking the time to listen with us and everything week after week. Uh, Check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, uh, and hit us up on Twitter at tall and short of one if you want to let us know uh, flavor of the week, if you want to give us any things that you're interested in hearing about from F1 magic league, anything else. Um, but thank you all. And, uh, we really appreciate it. Tell your friends, new episodes every Thursday. We appreciate our listeners new and old. So just thank you so much for taking your time to, to listen to the pod. We appreciate you. Uh, this has been another episode of the tall and short of it podcast. Peace out everyone. See ya.